history with the podcast guy, Matt King. Hey everybody, thank you for listening to our podcast. Unfortunately, for some, our topics that we talk about may be offensive to some people. The topics that we discuss could also be triggers, and we want you to be aware of that. If you are in need of help, please talk to a professional, a family member, or a friend. We are not medical professionals, and we don't claim to be. We are just two guys with a microphone and a platform. Please listen with discretion. Welcome to This Time in History, guys. I'm Matthew, and I am pleased to be back again for another episode. But before we get started, I just want to tell you guys about a uh, not-for-profit we are partnering with called Triumph Over Trauma. It's uh, meant to... We're gonna we're gonna kick the shit out of the red tape that exists, and we're gonna get people uh, affordable mental health therapy in the province of Ontario. I really truly believe in that, and that's what this charity is all about. Or, sorry, not charity. It's an organization. <laughs> you can find them on Instagram. If you look them up on Instagram, you'll find their GoFundMe, and from there, you guys, share the GoFundMe, please. You don't have to contribute, but if you share it, maybe someone you share it with will contribute, and then we can start attacking the real problem that exists here in Ontario. But with me today is Leandra Zimmerman, and uh, she is a survivor, but it's not my story. I'm going to let her tell her story. Welcome to the show, Leandra. Hi, good to be here. How are you feeling? Nervous that I'm here. So, in uh, this is how it works. Basically, what I do is I give you the floor to tell your story in your own pa- in your own pace, in your own words. So, go ahead. You can start with start wherever you like. Uh, most uh, guests, though, like they they like uh, you know where you where you're from, and then kind of leads into your story if if that helps you. All right, so um, my name is Leandra, and I am from Tampa, Florida. I am 30 years old, a mother of five beautiful children, and I come from a childhood of an immense amount of trauma and abuse at the hands of my parents, which leads me to my ultimate story. So do you want me to begin with, like, childhood stuff and sure. how, like, my mental health developed from that? Or Definitely, yeah, because that it, it, especially if it's relevant, of course. Absolutely it is. So um, what's interesting, right, is, like, growing up, I kind of felt like things weren't quite right within my home, but I never considered it to be abuse and it wasn't until I was in my early 20s and I sought therapy that my therapist told me you know Leandra this this is child abuse what happened to you um, is child abuse and that's when kind of reality struck me really hard Um, so in hindsight you know my therapist tells it as you know it sounds like my mother has Munchausen syndrome by proxy with me so Um, Similar to like the case of Gypsy Rose, where her mother made up these uh, medical ailments in efforts for her mother to gain compensation as well as, um, you know, emotional support from society. So my mother, like that, um, imposed mental health upon me. So as a child, I, you know, naturally responded to 
the effects of the sexual trauma, the psychological abuse that I was facing, and it came out in my behaviors. And so seemingly I was mentally ill, right? When really it was just my body in survival mode at such a young age and I I was lashing out. I was rageful. I was um, depressed. I became suicidal. I think my first attempt was when I was 12 years old. So my mother used to use these moments as fuel for her narrative that she had always put upon me my entire life, which was, you know, Leandra's the problem, Leandra's sick, Leandra has mental health issues, my poor baby, she needs help. All the while, she would go doctor shopping, and she would find doctors that agreed with her. And, and most more times than not, the doctors agreed with her because she was the loving, concerning mom, you know, seemingly, on the outside. Um, but when I got suicidal and stuff at that age, what I really needed was my mother to sit with me and just be with me. She didn't even have to say anything. She just needed to be there. And rather than be there, she looked at me as being suicidal as rebellion. And she would, as punishment, throw me into mental institutions as a form of punishment, all of which were even more traumatizing for me. So... That was like really heavy, right? It wasn't necessarily physical abuse, but it was definitely psychological gaslighting, deceiving, manipulation kind of tactics that my mother used against me. And I remember feeling like, I was like, you know, I would go to other people's house and I would be like, oh, that's what it's like to have like a nice loving mom. Like, I don't have that. Like, I don't know. I just kind of always knew my mom didn't quite like me. Um, and she had the entire family convinced that I was absolutely batshit crazy. So, and everybody believed her. And eventually I believed her too. I thought that I was crazy too. What happened was, is I was married and I was very, um, sorry, I'm getting a little, I'm trying to maintain my composure. It's okay. Um, Take your time. So, um... I got married, right? I got married young. I I got pregnant young. I had my first child at 19 years old. Can I ask you, and, sorry, can I just step in? D uh, yeah. If you don't mind me asking, did you get married because you were pregnant or did you get married and then get pregnant? Oh, yeah. I definitely got married because I was pregnant. Okay. Um, and so actually to backtrack, okay, to backtrack, my brother's best friend, I got to try and make sure I don't include any names here, but my brother's best friend is the man that I eventually ended up marrying. Um, I started dating this man when I was 15 years old, so I was still a child myself. And so my mother also watched this man grow up, right? Um, she knew him when he was like 14 years old, I believe, um, through high school, uh, which makes it all a little more disgusting to say the least, right? So fast forward i get pregnant at 18 i marry the father of my children we have one more child um i'm gonna pause for a second so i was talking about how i got married you started dating him when you were 15 and then yeah i'm sorry that's, <laughs> that's part of like the trauma process i guess so okay that happens a lot unfortunately <laughs> okay going back so we had two young children I was young, I was still traumatized, I still had unhealed childhood trauma. My behaviors were very, very toxic. Um, I can say that I um, have since been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and CPTSD. So in that, all of that unhealed trauma did 
begin to manifest behaviorally and emotionally, even within my intimate relationships. I was very insecure. Um, at times, I would become childish. I would become unstable in the sense of uh, my emotions. And it was really hard for him to have to deal with. But I felt like I couldn't control it. Like, nothing I could do, I didn't know how to help myself, um, which just furthered be the belief that my mother was right in saying that I was crazy. So anyways, needless to say, the relationship was very unsteady from the get-go. Um, he actually cheated on me in the first, I'd say, year of our relationship. And that was very devastating to me, that betrayal, especially someone who has borderline personality disorder. When you're faced with that kind of betrayal and abandonment, it hits you 10 times worse. Um, and that impact that it had on me, I instantly went from idolizing this man, loving this man to complete devaluation. Um, and by that time, I was already pregnant and I felt stuck. Um, we still got married despite him having cheated on me. I mean, by the way, he cheated on me for a month in Europe with another woman. And I knew it the entire time. And when I say it hit me so hard, like I stopped eating. I stopped. It was bad. I couldn't even take care of myself. Granted, I was like 17 years old. I was very young. Um, but I stayed with him thinking that this was something that I could get past. And I obviously couldn't get past it. So um, I began to not treat him so kindly, right? And that's what happens with untreated and unhealed borderlines. And that's what we tend to do, right? We, we can become abusive. We can verbally abuse people. We can throw fits of rage, um, throwing things, breaking things, screaming, self-harming, all of which play into the betrayal and the feelings of abandonment. So in that, you know, my husband at the time was exposed to a lot of those rage uh, spells and a lot of those self-harming feelings. And I just, you know, I've always had a voice in my head that's like, it's my voice, but it's a constant like reminder that Leandra, you're crazy. You'll never be good enough. Nobody wants you here. You're not needed. Your presence is a burden, right? So I always just had this internal feeling of I was defective somehow. So anyways, long story short, um, it was about, so we had already had two children at this point. My son at the time, I believe was about two years old. And my daughter was probably six months ish old, maybe a little bit older than that. Irregardless, um, my marriage had already been falling out at this point, right? Like, you could tell that I couldn't get past what he had did to me in the beginning of our relationship. He was exhausted from facing the the reaction that I responded with when it all happened, right? He he was exhausted. He felt like I would never get over it and never get better. And I struggled facing that. So a few years into our marriage, we decided that we wanted to start swinging with our neighbors. Um, he he had joined the military prior to um, prior to. I'm sorry, I'm bouncing all around. It's all good. But you're gonna. <laughs> that's gonna be fun. So he had joined the military prior to us getting married, and then that's when we got married because we wanted all of the benefits to go with it, right? Um, and so it only made sense. But um, we ended up deciding to like swing 
with our neighbors and he dude was a marine and it was him and his wife and me and my husband so it kind of doing that really just took away any boundaries that were there for monogamy i feel like not only was our relationship already struggling but now we were both already like being physically intimate with somebody else Mm -hmm. so we were also drinking a lot we were drinking very heavily both of us and we had this man um, it was his shipmate and his friend. He would come over to our house all the time. And initially, one of the first things that this man said to me was, you know, oh, I remember being in this neighborhood over here. I fucked that dude's wife. And I remember feeling like super uncomfortable, right? It was like, who the fuck says that? I don't even know this guy, you know? And I remember feeling very like uneasy about it, but my husband liked this guy a lot. And so the guy ended up pretty much being like a roommate. Like he was there all the time. We were all three drinking very heavily. And on two separate occasions, this man made a pass on me. And I told my husband at a time about that each time. And I actually said to him at one point, I was like, I don't feel comfortable if he continues to come over to the house because he wasn't like doing anything to stop it. Well, he still start. he still came over to the house. It's almost like, like he just didn't care. I don't believe he cared at that point. Um, so anyways, dude continued to come to a house fast forward about a year later. And like I said, he was pretty much living with us at this point, And I had an affair on my husband and I got pregnant as a result of that affair. That was a very interesting time of my life, you know? Uh, it was very bad. It was, it was very difficult, right? Uh, this man did not want a baby. This man did not want to be with me. I did not necessarily want to be with this man, but I didn't really want to be with my husband either. I felt very stuck. And having two young children and not having a job history I was pretty stuck, you know? And um, so anyways, I had to quit drinking, obviously. As soon as I found out I was pregnant, I could not stomach the idea of getting an abortion. I had already had two living children and I felt like that would have been selfish of me. So I picked up the phone and I called my mom. I was like, hey mom, I fucked up and now I'm pregnant. What do I do? And her, her, advice was Leandra don't tell him about it just have the baby let him believe the baby is his and just say nothing or else you're going to lose your marriage I was like I remember thinking in that moment like that's some like bullshit reasoning or like advice from my mother I feel like I would never give my daughter that same advice she said or you have to get an abortion you know, and again, abortion was off the table for me. So was adoption. Adoption was off the table for me. So I was like, I'm going to keep the baby. But my conscience could not keep that a secret that the baby was likely not my husband's. So I literally told my husband the day I tested positive, I said, hey, look, I had an affair. I'm pregnant and I don't believe this baby is yours. And, you know, he said it was it's fine. It's fine. We're going to figure out how to make it work. I know he doesn't want to be a father. I'm going to accept this baby as my own. It's going to be fine. We're going to get through this. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, cool. So everything was seemingly fine to me. I don't know. It was really strange. Um, well, to go back, I'm going to go back a little bit. So when I, back when I had the affair, I first found out I had the affair, or I first found out I was <laughs> pregnant after the affair. 
and I told this man that I was pregnant, right? He did not want to have a baby. He was drunk. He was still coming over to the house after I had confessed to the affair. And he was still coming over to the house, and they were getting drunk. And I remember he got really mad at me. Uh, He was trying to get me to drink, and I was refusing to drink because I knew I was pregnant. And he... I'm sorry, this is really hard. I haven't even talked about this on TikTok yet, so this is... I just want you to take your time. So, it's going to sound a little choppy, because some of the time frames I keep jumping back to. Okay, so I had this affair. I found out I was pregnant. Man was super mad, super angry, demanded I get an abortion. Demanded I get an abortion. And I was like, no, I'm not getting an abortion, so... And he was like, well, I don't want to be a dad, so... He still continued to come over to the house, and they would get drunk. He would try to get me to drink. I would refuse to drink because I was pregnant. And one of the so one of the nights we were having intercourse. I don't know what what am I allowed to say on here? Say anything. <laughs> so we were having intercourse, right? And I remember like he wanted to do a, a particular thing, and that particular thing, I was like, sure, I'll agree to do it. But during it, I was like, you know, I remember saying, I'm going to tell you exactly what I said. I remember saying, no, 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 please, no, stop. Is what exactly what I said. And then rather than stopping, he proceeded to go harder. And it hurt really, really bad. Um, but I, like, I took it or whatever. And so then I went to the bathroom afterwards and I saw that I was bleeding out of an area that I shouldn't be bleeding out of. And it was very traumatizing. So within like a three-day time frame, this man was like on a binge drinking thing. And this is just one of the things he had done to me. And, you know, I felt like I deserved it. So, but um, the one night he was drunk and we were sitting in the car. I was trying to drive because I was sober. I was trying to drive to go to 7-Eleven to get him a Gatorade and he got mad at me and I remember he looked at me and he said to me you know I'm mad at you and I want to hurt you and I said well why why do you want to hurt me why are you mad at me and he was like because you got pregnant and then he proceeds to slap me across my face I was like oh man (laughs) you know I didn't really react I kind of just sit there sat there and took it and then we went inside and he was so very angry and he ended up grabbing me by my throat and throwing me against the wall there was another shipmate there who saw this all happen and he was the guy who like got him off of me but yeah it was very bad he was very angry with me very upset with me like everything was projected onto me um And I felt so bad, like I felt so guilty having had the affair that, like I felt like that is what I deserved. So again, I took all of it. Well, when my husband at the time told the military about the affair, um, this man was reprimanded. And in him being in trouble, you know, quote unquote, he claimed that I raped him. And so here I am, you know, I'm in like my third trimester pregnant and I'm being called down to the NCIS to be investigated for a suspect of rape. 
that was very, very, very hard for me to deal with, too. It was later found out that he was discharged from the military for false official report, which I believe means, like, lying or something um, about his allegations. But I was found, like, obviously not guilty. Like, they didn't charge me with anything. But I did not rape that man, <laughs> okay? I did not rape that man. If anything, he raped me when I when he didn't stop. And I never, like, even told anybody about that until now. Um, I'm but, sorry for what you went through. It's not right, and it's that's a big thing that we unfortunately seem to have to cover um, on this podcast, both in interviews and in topic episodes, um, where no truly does mean no, and it's not okay. Any any other thing is not okay, and I'm sorry for what you went through. Thank you. You know, he actually said to me, too, when we were in the car right before he slapped me in the face, he said to me, you know, when he said, I want to hurt you because I'm angry at you. He even said, like, he he referenced the night I told you about where I was bleeding afterwards. Like, he was, like, throwing it in my face. Like, that's my way that I'm able to hurt you, you know? Why do you think I did that kind of conversation? But anyways, so that all happened. Um, he runs. Of course, he runs. You know, he's somewhere halfway half, halfway across the state or country, whatever, and I don't hear from him again. He completely, he gets discharged from the military and he's gone. I can't get a hold of him. Um, I got a hold of his mom and let her know, like, I'm pregnant with your first grandchild, and she communicated with me initially, and then, you know, he probably told her that I raped him, and she probably believed him, and I haven't heard from her since. So... It took me having my daughter um, and going to court to be able to prove that he was a father through a paternity test, in which case he told the judge, he was like, you know, I think that the child should go to foster care because I think that Leandra is a bad mother and I don't want to be a father. The judge kind of chuckled and laughed at him a little bit and granted me sole custody. So, and I haven't heard from him since. Uh, that was about eight years ago. At this what point. about What about support? for you he does he was demanded to pay child support and he does continue to do that at the very minimum he was forced to he has to well, he, uh, he didn't choose to well at least that's something in my book. at least that's something yeah so well before i actually had my daughter so <clears throat> everything was seemingly going good in my marriage right um i thought that everything was going to be fine he was going to raise this baby as his own that's what he told me so i believed him well i started having complications in my pregnancy and um i had like i had a two vessel um umbilical cord and i also had um rupture of my membranes prematurely so it didn't completely rupture but my bag of water started leaking at around 20 weeks gestation so i had to go to the hospital and during the hospital trip i was hospitalized I was told I was going to be hospitalized until I gave birth to the baby um, because my chances of infection were super high and that I couldn't leave the hospital with the waters being exposed like that. And so um, I lived in Virginia at that time and I needed support, right? My husband was in the military. He was in and out on his underways and I needed to fly my mom up from Florida to come and help me because I needed somebody to sit with the two kids. Obviously, I couldn't be with them while I was laying in a hospital bed. So doctors, you know, in the hospital were, you know, consoling me and, and talking to me and letting me know that, you know, my daughter's chances of survival are slim to none if she were to be born right now. The likelihood that I'll make it past, you know, 
22 weeks, it is slim to none. Um, and so I was in a devastating spot in the hospital. And I remember feeling like if my mom is at my house with my two children, why is my husband not here with me? I just couldn't understand that. But I, I had no other answer but to accept it, I guess. Mm -hmm. and that was the first kind of sign I had that he was having an affair with my mom. And again, I tried to just shrug it off like it was nothing. Because I was like, you know, it was again, it's the little voices in my head of like, you're crazy, Leandra, you're insecure. You know, you're just you're just insecure. There's no way your mom can do that to you, right? And I believed those voices. So um, I continued to overlook everything. Well, also in talking about overlooking everything, before I went to the hospital, there was actually a receipt in the mail for a child custody attorney showing that he had paid like $2,000 to them. And I just like, it didn't register to me because I remember I called my mom of all people, not realizing, you know, she was behind it all too, but I called her and she talked me into believing it was nothing. And then I believed it was nothing because I was the one who ran the finances, like $2,000 didn't just, I haven't seen $2,000 go anywhere. Right. So I was completely oblivious. I don't know. I, I was so young. I didn't know any better. And I believed my mom too, you know, and I told my mom at that time, I was like, you know, I felt like I need to take the kids and go. What if he's trying to take the kids from me? And she was, she talked me into staying. She was like, you know, no, you would get in trouble for kidnapping. If you took the kids, just stay. I'm sure everything's fine. You're just overthinking it. Little did I know she was gaslighting the fuck out of me. Well, fast forward to when I'm in the hospital, right? And the next sign that I had was, you know, when he came to the hospital one time, we we couldn't have like regular sex, right? But we all know those hormones go crazy when you're <laughs> pregnant and there's other ways to make things happen, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I noticed during one of these like times, he had completely shaved his pubic region. And that to me was very like, much a sign that he was definitely like cheating on me with somebody because like he had never done that before I don't know it was very out of character of him and so I think I mentioned it to him and again the gaslighting you know I'm overthinking everything I'm insecure you know all, and so I believed him again I was like okay maybe he's not having a fear on me maybe I'm just crazy so I get home from the hospital early because my waters ended up, my bag of waters resealed. And I begged them to test me again, by the way, they did not want to retest me, but I had a feeling that I needed to get home. I was like, my God, just please retest me. What if it's like sealed up? I need to go home. Something's not quite right. They um, miraculously did the test and I was not leaking any more amniotic fluid. So I was actually allowed to go home after a few weeks. When I came home, I had mentioned it, the idea that he was having an affair with my mom a couple of times. And um, at one of those times, he looked at me and he said something along the lines of like, just telling me that something's not quite right with your mom and we need to send your mom home sooner rather than later. And I remember feeling very caught off guard by that because like he was swearing he wasn't having an affair, but like obviously there was something he wasn't telling me because he felt uncomfortable enough that he wanted to send her home. And so we sent her home 
But in sending her home, or before we sent her home, I sat her down in the bathroom that we had downstairs. And I looked at her and I said, are you having an affair with my husband? And she looked me in my eyes and she said, absolutely not. And I remember feeling like I could hear the words coming out of her mouth, but looking into her eyes told me what I needed to know. She was lying to me. Um, so then we sent her home and everybody was lying to me. Everybody was gaslighting me. My own brain was gaslighting myself. And little did I know that they, he bought like, what are they called? One of those burner phones, a cheapo mm -hmm. burner phone. And he was keeping in contact with her when she left through this phone that I didn't even know existed. And she was, she was married to her third husband at the time. And so it was all fucked up. So anyways, after, after she went home, they were still communicating behind my back, coming up with like this master plan to like take my kids from me and live happily ever after. And so that's exactly what they tried to do. I woke up March 1st, 2014, and my kids were missing from their beds. Hold on. It's kind of my memories are bouncing around everywhere. So actually, I got I got some of that mixed up somehow. Okay, okay, because listen, because I was still pregnant when they took my kids. I didn't have her until the 31st of, of March, and they took my kids March 1st. So somewhere along the lines, I fucked up the time frame. No, no, you hadn't said that you had the baby yet. You said that you came home from the hospital. I'm sorry, I'm dissociating again. That's what ha And then you get confused. You know what dissociation is? Yes. And I also know what uh, BPD is because I have it as well. So I, you're speaking my language. I understand you better than you think. <laughs> Good. Okay. Yeah, that makes me feel better because not a lot of people understand for real. Yeah, it's hard because, like, I felt like such a bad person, too. I was like, oh, my God. But I, that's a good thing that I had remorse and guilt because I could be a narcissist and not give any fucks, you know? Yes. But I give a fuck. That's the difference between me and my mother. She don't give a fuck. I, I care when I hurt people. Like, I don't want to hurt people. So I'm sure your memories kind of go like that, too, sometimes, right? That's normal for people with trauma, right? Yes. <laughs> All right, so fast forward. Okay. So March 1st. So I woke up, I freaked the fuck out. <clears throat> I didn't know what to do. My husband at the time was supposed to be on 24-hour du duty that day. So it wasn't abnormal that, you know, I wouldn't hear from him for the entire 24 hours, right? And so I wasn't thinking anything when I tried to call him and he wouldn't pick up the phone. But, like, my kids' bedroom doors were wide open and um, they were not in their beds. So I ran downstairs and my house was completely silent. Like it was eagerly silent. Like my heart's racing thinking of it. And I panicked, right? I'm in my like 35th week of pregnancy or something like that, really pregnant in my third trimester. Panicking, I pick up the phone, I call 911 and I'm like, hey, I don't know. I don't know where my children are. I think somebody took them. Please help, right? And um, I remember they asked me, you know, was there anything specific that what, that they were wearing, you know, what, and I was like, well, I don't, I'm sorry, I'm already blocking all, a lot of memories. It's okay. Sorry, hold on. 
So I picked up the phone. I called 911. I said, my kids aren't in their bed. I think somebody must have taken them. I don't know what to do. Um, and they asked me, you know, do you remember what they were wearing? I did not remember. I actually think I put them both to bed in, um, in their diapers. I don't even think they had clothes. Um, and I remember that as I'm asking to look for shoes and their shoes were still there. Their shoes were still there, which made me freak out even more <laughs> because I was like, somebody definitely took them. And they asked me, they're like, is there anybody you know that would have taken them? I was like, no, their dad is on 24 hour duty. Like there's no reason he would have taken them. And like, I don't know anybody here. I have no idea who would or could have taken my children. And then I, I remember I, I told him, I was like, oh my God, my kids are also sick. They need their antibiotics. And I looked in the fridge and the antibiotics were still there. So again, like the likelihood that somebody took them would, I don't know, it was all, it all didn't make sense, right? It, it, it made me, it made it seem like it was a complete stranger that came in and took them, right? Somebody who didn't know that they were sick because somebody who cared about them if they were to take them would have taken their shoes and would have taken their medication, right? Absolutely. They would have known that they were sick. So the police, I'm frantic. They send an ambulance out because they know that I'm really big pregnant and I was hyperventilating. I couldn't breathe. They told me over the phone that they're like, hey, we have an Amber Alert, you know, out for your kids. Do you know the license plate number of the car? Like, we have helicopters and canines en route. Like, they were trying to comfort me and get me to calm down. As I was in the ambulance, um, I didn't even want to go to the hospital, but I went to the hospital. And as I was in the ambulance, I, couldn't, I picked up my phone. I continued to try my husband. I couldn't get a hold of him. Um, I then proceeded to try to call my mom, man, and I couldn't get a hold of her. So then I called um, people in my family in Florida and I said, hey, have you seen my mom? Because I really need her right now. And everybody acted like they didn't know where she was. I called her husband and I said, hey, have you seen my mom? He's like, no, I haven't seen her in a few days, you know? And I was like, well, that's fucking weird. Like, I really need my mom right now. And so um, I called and I filed a missing persons report on my mom in Florida. And when the police found my mom, they called me to let me know that my mom was safe and that she was with my husband in an apartment that they have obtained with my kids. Oh, my God. And no one would tell me where my kids were. Like, they wouldn't give me an address. They said that they couldn't give me an address. I was so lost. Like, when I say I went from being a mom who woke up to two children every day, and I was like a Pinterest mom. Like, I had a schedule out, like, learning time, play time. You know, I had the breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks. Like, it was all good to complete silence like i my mind completely was gone at that point and i couldn't eat i couldn't sleep i lost 15 pounds in the last you know four weeks of my pregnancy and i just laid in my son's bed i days wide awake just holding onto the pillow sobbing my eyes out and the very few times I did sleep, I would, as soon as my eyes opened, like, I wished they would close again. Like, I did not, as soon as they opened, I start tears would come down my face, like, immediately. I couldn't function. 
So I called my dad. And he's not the most reliable dad. Um, he never has been. He struggles with his mental health, too. But he doesn't. He refuses to get help. So he did the best that he could. That's the difference between him and my mom. And he drove up to Virginia um, to come help me. And while he was there, I got a knock on the door, and it was the property manager for the residence I was at. And they said, due to the active duty member no longer, no longer living here, you have to leave. And so my dad came up to help me get out of this place. And I was just going to go back to Florida and look back with him. And I'm going to go back a little bit. So when after the police found out that um, or told me that they were in, in the residence together with each other, right? I spent a lot of my time either, like I said, in the in my bed, my son's bed, clenching his pillow, or I was literally walking the streets trying to see if I couldn't locate my mom's car or his car, being that nobody would give me their address. And I couldn't find them, no matter, I, I mean, I've walked, the, the area I was in was huge, right? I, you can't just walk at all, but I tried. And so anyways, my dad comes up, he tries to help me. I at least get my car back. So we drove over, we ended up somehow finding out where they lived. I think it was through a pro bono. I, I secured a pro bono attorney. And I think he was able to get me the location of my children. So one of the days we drove over to his house and he had the battery unhooked for my car. My name was also on the car. So I just went, I hooked that battery up. I hopped in, I said, bye, you got my mom's car. You're good. <laughs> Uh, so at least I had a car. My, my dad did not like how I got my car, but I got my car. He drove me to go get my car. I took it back. So anyways, my dad, you know, he couldn't take only but so much time off of work. He struggled with his mental health. He was drinking heavy um, in the process of trying to help me. And he's trying to get me to drink. And I'm like, Dad, I'm fucking huge pregnant. I'm not going to drink. And he's like, I don't know how you're not going to get drunk during all this shit. Like, he was this was impacting him really bad and um so now not only am i dealing with all of my kids being gone and all of that stress and and the fear of moving well now i've got my father over here who's just completely melting in front of me and he gets very angry when he drinks he starts getting suicidal he starts talking about you know i don't know how you don't want to just kill yourself all these all these things and I tried to hide the alcohol from him, and then, you know, it got really messy. To wrap that up, he eventually had to go home because he had, you know, a job in Florida, and he could only stay but for so long. So he left, and he went back to Florida. I was still in the apartment in Virginia. And I went to the hospital to deliver my baby. And I'm going to pause and just say that through this time frame, my mom... I kept asking, I did talk to my mom a couple of times. There's a lot of details I'm missing. I had to go through the court systems to try to get them back. Okay. And I, I had I secured the pro bono attorney and I didn't see my children for, it was about two months until I could get to the courts and to make them let me see my kids. And their whole standpoint, their whole reasoning was, you know, I was saying, I know you guys are having an affair 
And they were over there saying, no way, we're not having an affair. You're just crazy. And we took the kids because we were afraid of them being in your care. We don't think that you're a stable individual. We don't believe that you're stable enough to be a mom. So they were fighting to, in the courts, to take my rights away. So I was immediately put on the defense because they used my mental health against me to say, hey, that despite the fact that I have mental health problems, like it doesn't just automatically deem me a bad mother. I would never do anything to hurt my children. My children are in good care in my, you know, in my care. And uh, it didn't matter, right? So I had to, I was automatically on the defense and I had to fight to, to get any rights to them back. So the first time I saw him was about two months later after, and it was in the court parking lot after this all started and it slowly increased from that point but it took like almost two years before i actually had like unsupervised visits with my kids every other weekend um at my house it took a very long time but um within all of that i also had to get a parent capacity evaluation and that evaluation was like a thorough i believe it was like over eight hours of like psychological evaluation of not only me as a complete whole, but me and the interactions that they see with my children. Was it done by and Was it done by CPS in Virginia? I uh, no, it wasn't. It was through the courts, but it wasn't CPS. Okay. So, they did the parent capacity evaluation. They never were capable of deeming me unfit. Right. Um, so at this point, now my biggest battle was, eventually, was I didn't have a job. And I couldn't afford a, a roof over my head, right? So I had no place to for my children to sleep. And so I had visitation through having to go to his residence with, you know, him and my mother there. And this whole time they're telling me we're doing this for the best interest of the children. You know, everything's going to be okay. And I, I just remember feeling like I know y'all are having an affair, you know. So, um... Are you still uh, married to him at this point? Like, you had... Uh, no divorce papers? No, it took five years to get a divorce. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to jump ahead. No, you're good. So, <laughs> yeah, no, to backtrack, right, I went to the hospital to give birth to my daughter. I was talking about that at some point, and yeah. then I stopped. Yes. So I was. I went to the hospital <clears throat> to give birth to my daughter, and I, after my dad had already left yep. um, to go to Florida, and I was there completely alone. My husband and my mother were in their apartment with my two kids, and they they both knew that I was in labor, and not one of them came to be with me. So I was by myself, uh, had an awesome nurse by my side, and delivered a beautiful, healthy baby girl. Um, I took her home to, to the um, townhome that we had together before they ended up kicking me out or yeah. for him not living there. And um, it was when I went to change my daughter's nightgown on my bed. I had previously stripped the sheets because I was washing them, right? So it was just a bare mattress that I laid her down on. And I slipped the nightgown over her head. And I go to pick her up, and her nightgown gets caught onto something in my mattress. I'm like, what the fuck is that? So I look, and lo and behold, it is my mother's nose ring embedded into my mattress that got caught onto my daughter's nightgown. And that, for some reason, was what sealed the deal for me. That's when I, like, knew. I was like, bitch, 
if you don't believe they're having an affair at this point, you're really fucking stupid, you know? <laughs> so, uh, for some reason, that was very symbolic for me. And um, I was I was disgusted. I was absolutely disgusted. Um, I, at that point, took it upon myself. Like, it was my, I was determined to find proof that they were having an affair because if I could find proof that they were having an affair, all of this would go away. I became really hyper fixated on this. So I was like sneaking and trying to record stuff and um, catch them in their in their words or record conversations. I was trying to do everything that I could because I knew I wasn't crazy at that point. Uh, no matter how much everybody was trying to say I was. Everybody in the family, my brother called me to tell me, you know, stop spreading rumors about your husband and, you know, our mom because they're not having an affair. And everybody believed these people that they had the only interest that they had in mind was the interest and the best interest of the children, right? Not that they wanted an entire life together. Um, and everybody believed them and thought I was crazy once again. So anyways... I remember, I'm just, now I'm going to jump around. Okay, so yeah, after I found the nose ring, again, they both continued to lie about it um, and made me feel crazy that, you know, no way they were they were not having an affair. They just, they want the kids to be safe and you're unsafe for them. And again, I have, I have my own set of internal issues in regards to like self-devaluation and suicidal thoughts. I would never, ever, ever hurt any of my children I have never had a thought of like I'm gonna kill myself and my children like that's never been whenever I feel I I, I internalize all of my pain and so sometimes I do feel like you know I get intrusive thoughts but what I need in those moments is somebody to sit with me and just be there just be you don't even have to talk you know, you just got to be there. Um, and I know that those thoughts eventually subside. They always eventually go away. And my mother and my husband knew that too. Um, but again, just like my childhood, my mother utilized the same thing about my mental health to say, she's crazy. She's not safe to be around her kids. She's not safe to be a mother when really she just wanted to take my place. She couldn't have her own kids. She tried to have more children after me. I was her second born and her body failed to allow her to carry past eight weeks of gestation, um, which she also blamed on me. It was my fault for all the stress that I put her through. That's why she lost all the babies. So anyways, she, she wanted, not only did she want my husband in my life, she wanted my babies because she wasn't capable of having any more of her own. It's really twisted. So she successfully got them too, you know, for a while, which is terrible. But, um, okay, yeah, so after I left the townhome, I ended up, initially, I stayed with the ombudsman of the ship's person, right? It's typically a wife of, like, a, a chief or something, and I stayed with her and her husband um, until I ruined that, you know? Again, at this point, I had not gotten my own mental health help yet. I was still unhealed, unaware um, and not in control of my behaviors or my emotions at all. And so um, I saw this is because I because I was able to have this place with her, I was able to give visitation with my children. So I was able to, you know, have them come over for overnights and everything like that. So it was actually very, it was amazing of her. She didn't have to do that. But in doing that, 
things got kind of messy really quick. I did a lot of self-sabotaging. We both started doing a lot of drugs. It was at that point, it was past um, just marijuana. It was, uh, we did a lot of that spice stuff. I don't know what that is. Yeah, I don't know. They call it spice. It's like synthetic marijuana, but it, it does not mess you up like marijuana does. Like it causes full on hallucinations at times. Like it's a different kind of high. It's like not safe. Um, would never recommend it. Right? I, I've but, only I've only ever done marijuana. <laughs> yeah, stick with that. <laughs> because yeah, it was really bad. Not safe, but we got it's very addictive as well. And that was the other downfall. Expensive, addictive, and just unsafe as a whole. And so we started getting into that a lot. You know, I didn't have my kids most of the time, so it wasn't really I didn't really, you know, care unless they were there and then I cared, you know, but for the most part I just wanted to be numb still. I didn't, yeah, I just, I didn't want to believe the reality that I had. So I used drugs and efforts to cope. And in doing that, I ended up destroying a lot of friendships. I ended up sleeping with the wife and I slept with the husband. Um, and it got very messy, you know, drugs and all that involved. You, you're not thinking clearly at all. I ended up, you know, selling my body at some points to find the money to pay for the stuff, and it got really bad. I was in an obviously not good state of mind at this point. My coping mechanisms were none. I just wanted to numb the pain. So I bounced around, you know, after that. I, I went to Florida for a little while. I then moved in with a manager that I had worked with at a previous job in Virginia, so I was able to move back to Virginia. Um, and I was staying with my manager, trying to save up money so that I could get into my own place was the goal. Well, this man became very abusive towards me. We ended up sleeping together, you know, because I had no self-respect or boundaries at this point for myself. And he became very physically abusive, which is something I wasn't used to. I was never really exposed to much physical abuse. And, you know, he would throw me around the house. You know, he was an older man. I was in my, like, 24, and he was, like, 50-something, and or older than that, even. And um, he ended up getting very physically abusive. Nope, I skipped a whole part again. All right, so then, like, to pause on that, I forgot to talk about the time frame that I was going to visit my children um, while they were with my husband and my mom at that apartment that they obtained, right? And going to those visits, I want to note that my mother literally looked me in my eyes at one point while I was visiting my children and said to me that my husband makes her come by sucking on her toes. I remember feeling in that moment like... But I thought... Fucking but I thought, but I thought they, they denied all that stuff. Yes, they denied all... But in front of me, too, it was like... Literally, how I felt was like they were intentionally poking and trying to do things to make me emotionally react so that they could say, like, look, she's fucking crazy. Um, And so she would do shit like that. And I wasn't allowed to react because I was being watched everywhere. Um, And so that was just one of the times. One of the other times I walked in and there was like a plethora of positive pregnancy tests laying across the counter. She continued to get pregnant with my husband's children, the father of her grandchildren, despite knowing that her body wouldn't be able to carry the baby past eight weeks gestation anyways. Um, and she laid them out upon the counter, you know, for me to come find and see for myself. So 
eventually I ended up getting an audio recording of both of them admitting to have ha- having a, been having an affair this entire time. Um, in that time frame, he also got engaged to her. One of my favorite things, and it always has been one of my favorite things, is rainbows. I think they're beautiful. And she comes and she shows me her engagement ring, and it is a rainbow engagement ring. I was like, wow, um, that's pretty interesting. So I had to fill all that in, right? They did, there was things, they just treated me very inhumanely behind closed doors. Um, and I had no choice but to accept it. So to fast forward, what was I just talking about before that? Physical abuse. Okay, so the physical abuse. So it got really bad with him and I started drinking again heavy. So now not only was I doing the spice, but like I was also drinking very bad. Well, no, it was before I came back to Virginia, right, from my dad's. Remember I told you I went to Florida for a little while after I stayed with the lady in Virginia. Yes. And then my daughter at that time was about a year old and I was just doing the spice really at that point, even with my dad and he started getting into his own heavy stuff and it was just really hard. So I made the plan to go back to Virginia, but in going back to Virginia, I didn't really have a good place to go after I had ruined, you know, my friend's marriage. And so Like I said, I went to stay with my manager at the time, and I did not want to bring my daughter into that situation. So I actually, you know, asked my ex-husband, I was like, would you be able to keep an eye on, you know, Charlotte as well? Because I don't have a roof over her head. I don't have a place to take her, and I don't know this man, and I'm not comfortable bringing my daughter. Thankfully, I didn't bring her in hindsight. Um... So, but it was fucked up either way because now my daughter was either with me in this abuse or she was with them in that nasty toxicity and family dynamic. Right. But I figured she was with her siblings. So somehow that made me feel like a less evil in my heart. So while I was staying with this man, like I said, it got very abusive. Um, He started physically abusing me. I was drinking a lot and we finally got the response in the court during that time frame that I was living with that man. And they finally admitted to the judge that they were having had an affair the entire time. The judge looked at my husband and, you know, was like, shame on you. If you don't have her mother out of your residence by noon tomorrow, I'm going to contact your command personally. And then she looked at my mother and said, you know, and I'm going to have you arrested. So she was not allowed to have any contact with my children from that point forward. She was disgusted. That judge was absolutely disgusted. And so when she had to be kicked out, she was getting disability checks. Well, once he didn't have her disability checks to help, he couldn't pay the bills on his own. So he, you know, picked up the phone and called me and one day and said, I can't afford to take care of Charlotte too. Now I have to put the other two kids in daycare because I don't have your mom's help and you need to come pick her up or else she's going to foster care. I remember freaking the fuck out. I was like, I, I'm in an abusive relationship right now. Like, it's bad. I'm, I'm being physically abused. I'm on drugs. I'm drinking. I'm not in the right place to take care of her, but I don't want her to go to foster care. And um, I ended up picking her up, and I actually went to a domestic violence shelter with her. And they, they they did a lot of help, actually. They put us up in a hotel for, like, a month, and they got me child care. They helped me get into a place of my own, so now I was able to, to have my own place. Now I just needed to secure a job. And I, I remember 
it wasn't until I hit real rock bottom did I like actually clean my act up and, and get better. And my rock bottom was losing all three of my children. And what happened with that was I was still heavily drinking when I had her. It was in the first week of her being back with me when he called me and threatened them in foster care. Um, I had just started at my new job at the time. I, there was no way I could take time off. I had no daycare put in, set in place. I wasn't making a lot of money. I was terrified, still just drinking heavy. Um, well, one morning I woke up and I felt like really guilty and really afraid because I was having thoughts of, you know, intrusive thoughts of harming myself. And so I thought I was still sober. I thought I was sobered up. It was the morning time and I wasn't sober. You know, I, um, I woke up from, I peeped the bed and everything. It was so bad because I had mixed it with pain pills. And I remember I just felt really scared and I was trying to put my daughter in the car to go take her to my ex's house because I felt, I didn't feel safe. I, I didn't feel safe in that moment of myself. I was trying to get her to safety and in trying to get her to safety, I fell asleep behind the wheel and got into a terrible head-on collision with a couple trees on a bridge and I blacked out real quick and I remember I woke up and I looked behind me and I looked at my daughter she's crying I looked beside me all I see is water on one side you know and on the other side I see a tree that I'm pinned into so I crawl through like the middle console of the car and I grab her I pull her to the front I find my phone I remember my legs hurt really bad something was wrong with my legs and I called 911, and then I see, like, some construction guy running across the street. You know, I I was very inebriated. I didn't know where I was. I asked him, I was like, can you tell these people on the phone where I'm at? I don't know where I'm at. Car was absolutely totaled. Brand new car. My first car that I bought without, you know, a man. Brand new car, 800 miles on it, like, fucking totaled. And, um... They asked me in the ambulance, you know, have you had anything to drink today? You know, I told them, yep. So anyways, they took me to the hospital and CPS, you know, came and they interrogated me while I was under the influence, which I feel like that's not cool because I don't even remember what was said. In hindsight, they probably shouldn't have done that. But yeah, they interviewed me while I was intoxicated and inebriated. I don't even remember how the conversation went, but... Then they took my daughter away. I'm sorry uh, that that. Charged. I'm sorry that that yeah. happened to you. Yeah, man, it was my own fault. But I was just trying to do something that was right, and I fucked up. I fucked up. You know, I was very unstable. Um, I had no <clears throat> control of myself back then. I was on a path of destruction. But it was when I lost her that I really, you know, it really hit me. Every everything just really hit me. So. Um, she ended up going to stay with my step, my ex stepdad and his wife for a year. It took me a year to be able to prove to them, you know, I had to take the, the, I had to take the alcohol tests and the drug tests and I had to go to the substance abuse counseling and meetings and all these things. And, um, I had to obtain a job and they gave me like a checklist, a nice big checklist of things that I had to do, but I knew my daughter was actually like safe there at least. So... Once they took my kids, or once they took Charlotte from me, um, I found out I was pregnant. 
and I was pregnant with that that abusive man that I had left, mm-hmm. baby. Um, he didn't want the baby. I didn't have, at this point, I didn't have any of my children. <clears throat> I lost all three of my other ones. I was still smoking the spice, and um, I just, as much as I hated the idea of having an abortion, <clears throat> like, I couldn't have that baby. So I went to go have the abortion the first time. I chickened out. I was like, I can't do it. I don't believe in it, you know. And this man, like, relentlessly would text message me and yell at me and get angry at me and, like, just put all this bullshit in, into my head to, like, make me... He co- he coerced me into having an abortion that I didn't necessarily want to have. He uh, coerced me by offering to pay for my drugs. It was really bad. So I went in the second time, and I um, ended up going through with the procedure. And during the procedure, it was really bad, man. Like, you could feel all of it. You could feel the suctioning and all of it. And, you know, I had already had three previous births at that point. I remember looking at the lady who was doing the the abortion or, or whatever. I looked at her, and I said, I want to see my baby. Can I see my baby? And she looked at another lady, and she was like, you know, no one's ever asked me that before, but I don't think that that's going to be a good idea. And I was like, why? Is he in pieces? And she said, yeah. And I felt numb. I was absolutely numb. Uh, But after the abortion and after having lost, you know, Charlotte, I ended up quitting. I made the decision to quit um, doing the spice, to quit drinking. I made the decision to get a job. And it was a good job. It was through an insurance company. So in that year of me growing, I was able to internally get promoted and now I was doing insurance underwriting. I was making a decent amount of money. I was in my own place through the help of the domestic violence shelter who helped me get into my own place. And I was finally able to get my daughter back. So uh, it took a year. So when I got her back, I don't know, it took like two years actually. Yeah, it was like a little over a year. But when I got her back, um, things were looking good. She was in childcare, you know, I was working full-time, I was making decent money, I was doing it on my own, it was a tiny little dinky apartment, but I was making it happen, Um, and I was still getting the visits with my older two children every other weekend, and, you know, at this point, he had his mom move in to help him, and so, after that all happened, um, one day, I actually had gotten into a bad relationship, actually, right after I had gotten her back, it was another just abusive relationship, you know, um, sex, more sexual abuse or whatnot, and unfortunately, she was like exposed to that man for a little while. But once I got rid of him, I ended up dating the man that I'm with currently today, who is the father of my youngest two children. But one, it was one day. It was about at this point, a little over four years after my husband had taken them with my mom. He just dropped him off at my house one day. He was like, you know. I have, I'm struggling finding, you know, a place of my own to go. I don't know what to do. Like, I need you to keep them, and I don't know how long I need you to keep them for. Well, it was during the summertime when he did that, and so when I took him in, um, I was dating the man that I'm with now. We were living together, and eventually it was like a couple weeks in, and he didn't have an idea when he would be able to take him back. So I enrolled him to school, and I've had him ever since. That's I don't know, still don't know really why he 
chose to give him back. I believe it was because he wanted to be with this particular woman who didn't want children. So again, it all just like clarifies the idea that they never wanted the kids out of actual fear that I was going to ever harm them. They took the kids because they wanted to create this fantasy idea in their head of them being together and living happily ever after. Once she was gone um, and once his mom was there all the time and he realized how hard it is to be, you know, a single father, um, he didn't want that responsibility anymore. That's what I personally think. He realized it was fucking hard and that he needed my help. Um, since then, we have been able to have and grow a very respectable, co-parenting, supportive relationship for one another, and he pays his child support. He's as active as he can be. Um, he is regretful. He is remorseful, whereas my mother and I do not talk. Wow. I did forgive her after about four years. I forgave her. I allowed her back into my life, right? And... I should have never did that. The man I'm with now and I wanted to move to Florida where she was living, right? She's living with her brother and his friend, like roommate. Well, her and his roommate ended up getting together. So they're in a relationship living with her brother and they own this house together. So the man I'm with now was like, you know, let's move to Florida. And I, like a dumbass in hindsight, okay? <laughs> I was like, oh, sure, we'll just stay with my mom for a few months, you know, so we can save up some fucking money and uh, we could buy a house. Like, let's buy our first house in Florida, bitch. Let's go. A really retarded idea. Uh, I, I remember when I was first, like, when I saw my mom physically in person after, like, the four-year separation and I forgave her, I hugged her and I felt like, this doesn't feel like I'm hugging my mom, man. Like, she feels evil. She feels so unsafe. She feels like a complete stranger. I'll never forget that feeling. Uh, I tried to fight that feeling, though. You know, I felt guilty. I felt like, you know, what kind of person would I feel like if my mom dies and I never gave her the, like, chance to be better? So that guilt is what allowed her back in. Well, she claimed, oh, I'm doing better. I've grown so much. I'm so sorry. She was so apologetic. But that's the thing. She appeared to be apologetic. She said all of the things I wanted to hear but she wasn't actually sorry. She didn't leave him because, you know, and he didn't leave her because they both had woken up one day with an epiphany and they're like, oh, this is wrong. We probably shouldn't do this. No, they were separated because they were forced to be separated by a judge. That's the fact. And my mom was never genuinely sorry. She never felt any guilt, any remorse for what she had done. But she would tell me that she did feel these things because she wanted me to believe it, but she didn't really feel it. So she did a lot of masking. Long story short, my kids and I, I, I have two more children now with this new guy. So now we have um, five children total in the house. And we're like, let's move to Florida. <laughs> so we go to Florida and we move in um, with, again, my mom, her boyfriend, and my mom's brother. Just temporarily. Well, it quickly goes south very fast. Like, her and my man did not get along at all. Like, he despises everything about her. And she knew it. He didn't try to hide that, right? So there was a lot of animosity. You know, he claimed that she had made inappropriate moves on him. I believed him, obviously, because my mom, you know, has a history of being all that nastiness. So... 
Well, eventually, right, he got super uncomfortable. He ended up going back. He left me temporarily and went back to Virginia with his parents. And I was just me there. Um, and it was a, it was only like three days into me being there without him there that I woke up and her significant other was sexually assaulting me in my sleep. Oh, my God. I swear to God. Oh, I swear to God. This happened like a year and a half ago, bro. And like, he is like old and creepy as fuck. And so, listen, I was asleep. I was breastfeeding my baby at the time. Because remember, my little baby was only a few months old when we moved to Florida. Yeah. And I'm breastfeeding her. And he, you know, my man was like, fuck your mom. I need a break. And he goes, he takes off to Virginia for a little bit. Like I said, Thursday. And I woke up. So this is what happened. I was sleeping. And all of a sudden, I hear somebody whispering in my ear, bro. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> and he was saying some fucked up, weird ass shit. And I felt so gross. I was like freaking out. So like, my eyes were closed. But I was like, I was like, I, I mentally was awake. I was there. I was coherent. But I was like keeping my eyes closed because I was scared as fuck. And the dude was like trying to tell me how hot I was and like all these things he wanted to do to me. And I was like my god what the fuck do i do i didn't know what the fuck to do i was scared he still thought i was sleeping so what i did was like i ended up like well no it was when he started rubbing my lips he he started rubbing my lips with his thumb freaked me out so fucking bad dude and so i jerked my body like as if although like i had just woken up but bitch i had been i've been awake the entire fucking time i knew it i just didn't know what the fuck to do my baby was sleeping and shit so um, I jolted my body, and when I opened my eyes, he had his phone out as though he was recording me. So fucking creepy. Well, anyways, I tell my mom about this shit, and my mom was like, oh, well, he just, he has, you know, weird ways of showing that he loves somebody. And I was like, all right, that's a little fucking strange. She's like, just tell me if he does it again. I was like, all right, no, no worries, sure. Literally the next night dude does it again i tell my mom and it was like a light switch immediately it was somehow my fault all of the blame was projected on me she started treating my me and my children like shit she wanted us out like it was fucking terrible somehow if leandra wasn't there this wouldn't have happened literally never wanted that man never insinuated i wanted that man definitely violated me in my sleep and got the fuck away with it right later let me just stop right there but so it was very messy my man i'm with now ends up coming back from virginia obviously he's like we need to get the fuck out of there so we dropped six grand on an airbnb to try and keep my kids in you know their school and it got super bad just with my mom like she was very dismissive she projected the blame onto me somehow it was my fault she said it wasn't as bad as you made it out to be all he did was x y and z Again, she starts putting that narrative to everybody around her, like, Leandra is exaggerating, she's crazy, like, didn't happen the way that she says, all this gaslighting stuff. So it's the same pattern of behaviors that she had done since I was the day I was born, you know? As soon as anything goes wrong, it's my fault, even if it, it was something bad that happened to me. It's an inconvenience to her, and somehow that means it's my fault. And yeah, so ever since then, again, I have been completely cut off by my entire family. Um, and I'm okay with that this time. Honest to God, like, 
I don't know, man. I think they're all cuckoo at this point. I think I'm probably the only sane one. You know, um, my brother cut me off. He told me that he always thinks that he's always thought that I was evil down to like my core, that he thinks I'm dark inside. He thinks that I utilize my mental health and efforts to um, project blame onto everybody else. And I don't, I understand why he, why he has those beliefs. You know what I mean? I do. If you ask him why he hates me, he'll tell you he hates me, but he can't give you any particular reason. And that's because he doesn't even know why he hates me because the narrative my mother put into his brain, not only my brain, but his brain was your sister is the problem. Your sister is always the problem, just like how I felt. Right. So in the same way that it affected me and I truly ended up believing I was the problem of everyone's problems. So did he. So still to this day, um, I, I can only hope that eventually he'll be able to see past that like fog. But, you know, I don't talk to my brother. I don't talk to my mother. I don't talk to any of my uncles. I don't talk to anyone in my family. And I rarely talk to my dad. So I missed the chunk where I ended up getting help. So it was after my car accident and after um, having lost my daughter and having an abortion when I started, not only did I quit doing drugs and I, I got a full-time job, a good job, right? I walked into my first like psychologist appointment willingly. I found, her name is Rebecca. And I found Rebecca um, over eight years ago. I walked into her office and one of the first things I said to her was, you know, I'm crazy and I need help. And that's all I said. And I remember her looking at me and she was like, sweetheart, know you're not crazy because truly crazy people don't know that they're crazy and I cried and I sat down and it was like for the first time somebody saw me and she believed me and she was like you're not crazy she was the first person who told me I wasn't crazy and um, she's been there for me ever since and the therapy has helped me immensely I was on it you know medication for a while but then I stopped the medication because I couldn't remember to take it every day on time, which only made the intrusive thoughts worse. Um, but yeah, and, and awareness. It's the awareness, doing a lot of my own research, listening to the advice of now two therapists that I have. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I still struggle every single day, but it's gotten a lot better. I don't, I still get intrusive thoughts from time to time, but I know that they go away. Um, yeah, I mean, it, borderline personality disorder, it's its treatable, but it's not curable, right? That's right. So there are moments of relapses, and it's hard, but we take it a day at a time, you know? And trauma just impacts everybody differently, and I'm glad I was able to pull myself out of the destruction, the self-destruction path that I was on, you know? Um, I still, like I said, I struggle with my mental health, but I'm a full-time college student now. I'm studying psychology myself and full-time mom to five kids, you know? So there's a, a little bit of a happy ending, I guess, right? That's amazing. And I'm so... I'm so sorry I bounced all over the place. You did amazing. Give yourself a... Give yourself, I missed a ton of shit. Give yourself a break. You did amazing. And, you know, to do it with the grace and the courage that you have shown here is, it just shows me that you were never crazy, ever. You struggle with 
you might have struggled with some mental health challenges, but who hasn't? How many right, of anybody us? Anybody who's been abused is exactly. going to have reactions and behaviors and emotional responses to that abuse. Exactly. It's and not the reactions that are abnormal. It's the abuse that's the not normal thing, right? That's what should have never happened in the first place. That's why medications never helped me because I was never the fucking problem to begin with. That's know? right. And you just need to find that right person to talk to. And I understand that completely. You know, when I was a kid, I had therapists, but I was always like, yeah, they're fishing for something. I, I don't feel comfortable. I don't want to talk to these people. And then um, when I had my, uh, I'll leave this in. When I had my breakdown in, uh, in 2017 and I got help in 2018, I met, the therapist that literally changed my life. He just left uh, the hospital that uh, I seek treatment at, so I have to find another therapist. But he literally changed my life. Uh, I remember the first time I went into his office, and then uh, we had the session, and he used to talk to me about group therapy. And I was like, uh, I don't really yeah. want to go into a room and sit around and listen to other people about their lives. And, I, and I'm not going to talk. And then he's like, can you just give it a chance? So I said, okay, no problem. I'll do it. I don't want to do it, but I'll do it. And I went. Not only did I sh Not only did I share, but I cried in front of, well, at the time, total strangers. Never done that before. I don't do that. And... Um, sorry, what was I, where was I going? Uh, so... Oh, yeah, you know what I forgot? Go ahead. I remembered all of a sudden. That's deep. But after I had lost my third child, right? After I had lost them, one of the big, one of the other, like, big impacts aside from the car accident. It was actually, it was after the car accident, but right before I got my job and, like, made the decision to quit all the drugs and stuff. So it was very impactful. So I was sitting in the bathroom of that abusive man's house and he wasn't home and I just remember feeling complete darkness like there was no way out no solution I was I was put here on earth to like be an amazing mother and I can't even do that that's been taken away from me I had no will to live I had no will to live and I set out you know a bible and I laid my children's picture across the Bible, and I set some candles up, you know, um, and I took my prescription medication. I think it was Klonopin. I had about 90 pills, and I started popping them one at a time, um, and I took out, I put on some music. This time was different than all my other times, you know, because I didn't tell anybody, because I really wanted to go. I just wanted the pain to stop. So I took all the pills. And then I laid in bed. I was like, this is it. I didn't call anybody. I felt like I had no one to call. No one cared, you know? So I did it. And then I fucking woke up the next morning. <laughs> I was like, how am I still alive? How the 
the fuck am I still alive? I shouldn't be alive. And I drove to my therapist's office, Rebecca's office, and um, I saw the psychiatrist there, and she was super disappointed in me and, like, fired me as a patient because she didn't want a suicide on her record, which is fucking strange. But she was like, I, she told me, I have no idea how you're still alive. Anybody would normally, like, suck them to 90, 90 pills, and I took the entire bottle. Um, I didn't convulse that I know of. Like, nothing fucking happened. I just slept really hard, you know? But, yeah, that was very impactful because my brain had, like, a switch in that moment of, like, I don't know. It was just a, a you could feel the switch. You know what I mean? Like, you have something to live for. You just have to fucking fight for it. You have to get up and you have to move your feet and you have to keep pushing forward no matter how bad it hurts. And I did. And that's amazing. And, and I can see that. Uh, I, I'm glad that everything's worked out for you. And uh, I just, uh, what a what a story. I, are you, I don't mean this facetiously, but are you working on a book? Seriously. Yes, no, I absolutely am. So it's taken quite some time to work on it because, as you can tell, like, my memory is, I kind of bounce around a lot and revisiting the trauma is also very, very difficult. So I kind of do it in chunks, but I am writing a book. It's going to be amazing. But, yeah. Well, when writing you... a book, and I'm, an, I'm a mental, a huge mental health advocate, you know. I want people out there to know, like, when they feel... Like something's not right, you know, when their intuition is telling them something, when people around them are just constantly telling them everything's their fault, you know, that they're the crazy ones, that there's something wrong with them, that there's nothing wrong with you. It's never been you. It's always been them. So you're not the problem. Exactly. And we have that big problem in Ontario, which is why at the top of the episode, when I mentioned the, uh, the uh, not-for-profit that we're partnering with. It's actually a not-for-profit that I'm starting That's to... Amazing. Yeah, we're trying to combat... Uh, the problem is, is that mental health therapy is not available here, uh, not free, not... Uh, not and it's, it, it's... We're constantly being priced out. Like, m- me, myself, like, I have a full-time job, which is great. They treat me great, and I've got great benefits. However, my benefits only pay for $1,000 in mental health therapy per year so theoretically if it's a hundred dollars a session that's 10 sessions that's not even one session a month that's not going to do anything exactly especially and that's only you know for like i don't i don't like using the word normal but i'll use it in this uh context so not even a normal person would would be okay with that like never mind if i was in crisis or manic I need it more often, and um, so not th- even normal. Anybody with even just personality disorders as a whole, you can't just give them one session of therapy a month and think that that's going to like help, uh, you know, decode their brain. It's literally a process of us having to retrain our brain from the ways that we were taught and the neglect that we had and abuse that we had faced, you know. And you can't do that in one session a month. Exactly. So now, there, you're you're discrediting a lot of mental health conditions because most of them can't just be treated in the snap of a finger like that exactly it takes time it takes dedication it takes constant work and that so when i was a kid in ontario mental health therapy was covered under ohip because in canada our our health care is basically it's it's paid for us it's free right um and then somewhere between the time that i was 
I don't know, 12, we'll say 12, 13. And then the time that I was 20, so in that eight-year period, whatever government took over it said, oh, we're not going to cover mental health therapy anymore. And that's how it's been. So no now, unless you're, so unless you're in crisis or you're being committed to like a, a, a hospital or a mental health facility, therapy is not free. So there's plenty of, and again, I hate to use the word normal, but I'll use it in this context. There's plenty of normal people that struggle day-to-day stuff that need that therapy that can't afford well, it. It's the money that they're worried about. I feel like, like you're going to have... <clears throat> more people going to have to get that urgent care, which is likely to be more expensive than just regular office visits, if you're not giving them enough office visits in the first place. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. So part because of the... Because you have more sick people. And then the more sick people needing the more urgent care is going to increase the dollar amount way faster, rapidly, exactly. than being preventative. Exactly. So part of the not-for-profit's um, mission is to provide free mental health therapy no matter if you're a millionaire or you're a homeless person it does not matter anywhere in between it, I love it, and then eventually we want to offer free legal advice for I, I hate to use you, you as an example but when you were down on your luck and you needed your kids back you said you got a pro bono lawyer I want to be able to at least point people that need that help in the right direction right so that's uh that's something that that we're working on here and uh i can't wait to read your book when it when you get it published let me know where to get it and i will i'll be your first customer all right awesome i will (laughs) anyway thank you so much for for coming on here and for trusting me to deliver this interview and just your your grace and your courage just shines through and I, I'm. Thank you so much. Absolutely, thank you. I appreciate it.